Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode, officially starting this episode of the Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy with my very funny animated guest that I've never met before. Could be a brother from another mother, David Newman. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Gina. A pleasure and a privilege. We're going to have some fun. We're definitely going to have some fun. Like I said, I really appreciate that you listened to some episodes. Is, was there something that stuck out to you? Obviously, the Oreo stuck out for you, the Oreo story. But any anything, maybe that's the story that stuck out. Any kind of nuggets that stuck out of what you listened to? That, no, that is totally the story. Well, and, you know, the whole S word thing, it's funny. My first book, which is Do It Marketing, I have an entire section in that book. So talk about sister from another mister, et cetera. There's an entire section in that book literally called the S word because, you know, professional churches. Of course not. We all talk about the S word for people who are sales reluctant, sales averse. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because the professional services sellers, the people that kind of got into the business of the business and they love that. But it's like, oh, and now I have to sell. Ew, that's not what I signed up for. As opposed to professional salespeople where that's exactly what they signed up for. They may not be great at it yet. They may be new at it. But it's it's not like, oh, gosh, surprise, you have to sell. It's like a brain surgeon. It's like, oh, I don't like blood. Did I mention I don't like blood? Is that going to be a problem in medical school? Maybe. Maybe. Probably. Probably. Yeah, so that that the S word. So you so that was my 10 minute episode, which was just that was a, a short one. Yeah, it was just a short one that came from a blog that I wrote about it that I and you heard and it the was whole, the nonprofit folks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when he was like, could you just not use the S word? And I'm like, oh, shit, did I swear again? There it he goes. Our E rating, everyone. There it went. There it went. Did you see I mean, it go by? I am the woman your mother warned you about. So the, there have been worse words than the shit that have come out of my mouth on this show. And I literally had like this feel, this terror of like, oh, my gosh, this guy heard me speak somewhere else. And I'm like, did that happen? And then when he's like, they just don't talk about sales. Okay. I'm like, OK, but they're sales. Aren't they? Sales? No, they don't want to be called salespeople. OK. All right. So these humans that you and I are talking about right now are the exact humans that I wrote the Do It Selling book for. It's the sa- the person who finds themselves in a sales role and they kind of hate it. They kind of hate it. It's sales for people who hate to sell. It's weird, but it's true. I used to be one of them. Did you ever, I know now, of course, you love it. It's your business. It's your love. It's your profession. Did you ever not like sales or did you ever kind of be afraid of it? Was it wrapped in mystery at some point? One hundred percent. I tell this story all the time that I never had planned on being in sales. It was never my goal. It might be surprising to you. With I have a performance background and my goal was to be in radio, television, film. And that's what my major was. And that was the path I was on. And I ended up in entertainment marketing for decades. And and I'd oversee a sales department under, you know, as a marketing director And I avoided sales as long as I could from a direct, you know, from an actual selling perspective. But people kept trying to get, kept trying to hire me to sell. And I'm like, what is, no, 
And I finally started asking the question because I have a very curious mind, like a child, because of my improv background. And I'm like, all right, somebody tell me why do you keep pursuing me for this? And the answer was because you have a way about you that makes people feel comfortable and I just want to buy something from you. And it was an aha moment for me that was like, oh, and I and then I got it because I'm like, I've been selling my whole life. I just did it differently from everybody else. And then when I actually started selling things now, like Oreo boy, to know my story is to know my father had me working in a flea market at age 10 selling things, including stolen merchandise because he was in the mob, right? And I didn't know I was selling stolen merchandise. But the point is like, I had to know how to negotiate at age 10 with adults. And so it was always in my DNA, but I never thought of it as selling. But I did think the word, did think selling was icky. Yeah. I just didn't think I was selling. I thought I was servicing and solving. There you go. There you go. Well, that's the other thing that jumped out at me. Just speaking of previous fantastic episodes, I forget who it was. It was either Donald Kelly or someone else. But the line is, if you're alive, if you're living, then you're in sales. We are selling all the time in life. All day long. All day long. Yeah. So so tell me more about you wrote this book for those people. Yeah. Those people, like I'm fascinated by those people who are in sales and don't want to be in sales because I'm always really curious because I go out and I talk about like, if you don't like what you're selling, number one, get out of your job. If you don't like selling, get out of your job. Now, the only place where I see that they can't get out of their job is military recruiters that I work with a lot. So yeah. we do training with military recruiters and they don't necessarily sign up for selling, but that's what they're doing. And they don't really have that much of a choice. Right. So I'm just fascinated by people that's, that go into it, stay in it. But tell me more about why you wrote that book for them. Sure. Well, so it's not, it's actually for solopreneurs mostly. So think about someone who has a 20 year corporate career, very successful doing whatever it is they're doing. And then they say, hey, you know, I'm seeing these people like uh, Gina and David and uh, Jeb and all these people. They're out there speaking, consulting, coaching, training, writing books, doing videos, having fun. That's what I want to do. So they hang out their shingle as a consultant, coach, trainer, speaker, right? Advisor, mentor. And they're like, I'm really great at this. I did this in corporate for 20 years. This is awesome. I used to have, you know, big logo on my business card. People always return Mm -hmm. my calls. People always return my emails. Now they're out on their own. You know, Joey Schmedlap business card (laughs) says joeyschmedlap.com. They no longer have the big company behind them. They no longer have that logo on their business card. Suddenly people don't return their phone calls like they used to. Suddenly people are not jumping in those email replies like they used to. And they go, oh, this is what it's like on the outside. I thought it was about doing the work. It's not about doing the work as an entrepreneur. It's about selling the work. And this is true, Gina, really, in almost any professional services. You know, accountants start an accounting firm because they love accounting. They don't love sales. They probably hate sales. Lawyers hang out, single shingle, attorney, small law firm, because they love the legal work. They don't know how to sell. No one ever taught them in law school. Oh, by the way, folks, in order to get cases, 
here's how you sell. No one ever says that during the whole law school experience. Even entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs, they're like, oh, I'm a really tech wizard. I have this new whiz-bang AI technology SaaS platform. Great. Can you sell it? Can you pitch it? Can you get your first hundred clients? Can you get your first thousand customers? Can you get your investors? Can you do a pitch deck? Can you do a really tight seven minute pitch about why you need millions and millions of dollars from Elon Musk? No, I love the tech. Of course you love the tech, but you got to learn to sell. So this is the population I'm talking to. Ooh, that was a lot. I know. That was a lot. So I know. How do we unpack all that crazy? I know. I'm trying to I'm like trying to pinpoint a place to go. One of the things that you talk about is that some of these salespeople paralyze their efforts before they even start selling. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? Sure. So, again, think of the professional services seller. And again, if they're selling themselves. So to your earlier point, they can't really get out of it. Because that's why they got into it. It's like they're selling their own expertise. They're selling their own services. But they think this is so complicated. And there's like a million steps. And so here's what this sounds like, Gina. When you're like, think of a cocktail party, summer barbecue, holiday get together, whatever it is. People would come up to you probably. And they say, Gina, I admire you so much. Boy, I could never do what you do. I don't have the sales gene. I don't have that sales DNA. My friends, nobody's born with a sales gene. There is no sales DNA. It is a mindset. It is a skill set. It is a tool set. So when people say, you know, I wish I had that sales DNA, they think that number one, they have to be someone other than themselves, right? They have to put on their sales hat and their sales mask and their sales persona. They think it's based on trickery and deception and lying and being inauthentic and, you know, pulling, pulling a stunt on somebody. And they don't realize that this is one of my early mentors said this, that really simplified the whole process for me. He said, David, you're so, cause I was very studying the tactics and I was very heavy into like, oh, give me the scripts, give me the templates, give me the moves. And he says, David, you're so committed to being a better salesperson. Don't worry about that. Be a better person and more sales will happen. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. So what does being a better person mean? Be a better person means listen more, care more, ask more, focus on helping before pitching, focus on serving before selling, really get a human to human relationship. Don't worry about B2B, B2C, P2P, whatever the hell it is. It is human to human, person to person. So if you literally treat your prospects, so treat your prospects like friends, treat your prospects like they're already clients. So you've got nothing to prove, nothing to hide. You're already working with them. They're already in the family, right? The shields come down for you. The pressure is off your shoulders. The shields come down for them. When you start to treat them like, hey, we're just having a friendly conversation, all of that weirdness, all of that artifice and artificiality tends to evaporate. And now we're just having a very genuine, very connected human to human conversation. So if you do anything else, and part of this, I think, is bad salespeople, 
So bad salespeople over the years, because when we're the prospect, we know how we don't like to be sold to. So bad salespeople, even bad sales training, right? Sales training, it's very lockstep, do this when they say this, you know, very formulaic kind of sales training, which was very big in the 1970s and 80s. It's not that way anymore, my friends. So you got to stop overcomplicating, overanalyzing and overparalyzing yourself. Just strip all of that away. Be more you and be a better person and more sales will happen. This is so common sense, in my opinion. Right. This is not you don't have to go to sales training to learn this common sense thing of being human. And you I got to go to sales untraining, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that's the, that's it. Exactly. You have to go to sales untraining. And there's so much we can unpack because there is the the bad reputation that has been set by bad salespeople. Gosh, if we could just break the cycle of that, you and I would be rich because yeah. that continues on. I continue to get pitched by horrible salespeople and I actually reach out to them. It's mostly on LinkedIn and Jeff Bajoric and I have disagreements on this because I just, I am so sick of horrible pitches via LinkedIn once I've accepted your connection request. My question back to them every single time when they then you know, vomit on me their their six paragraph email about, you know, do I need this thing to have a better life? And I'm like, who taught you this? I ask every one of them. I'm like, where did you learn this? And they don't answer you know where me. they didn't learn it. They didn't learn it at Sales Gravy University because <laughs> that's where people need to go. That's where they need to go. <laughs> I'll never. I'll do the plug for you this time. <laughs> Sales Gravy University, get your butt over there. Thank you. And Jeb Blunt thanks you for that. My pleasure. Uh, but, or, you know, or go anywhere where there's a more credible sales leader that can teach you these things like being a better person. I also am a believer that sometimes, you know, it's hard to be a better person if you're not structured to be a better person. So that to me sometimes is in the upbringing and the environment. That's a whole other psychological conversation. But I think this is why I love sales so much is because I'm just showing up to help and I'm not thinking so much about selling you. Yes. Right. So it, for the people that get into this job and they don't like it, I and mean, what's your thought on that for what brings people into it, but they don't like doing it. And then they're like frustrated when they have sales leaders who are telling them to do their job. Wow, that is a great question. I think, you know, I think come from is so important in sales and in business and in life, but especially in sales. So are you there to make the sale and all of the negative behavior that comes with that, right? Not listening, pushing through your agenda, force fitting your solution or product or program to whatever the poor prospect is actually dealing with. We call that commission breath. We call it happy. It has all kinds of different varieties, right? It's it's this lack of connection. So it's so funny because of your theatrical background and improv background. I also have an MFA in theater. Very strange. I have a theater background. Surprising. So years. I picked that up like the second you opened like, your mouth. Go on. Boom. So four years of professional theater in New York City, directing, actually, not acting, but directing. You learn like in improv, improv, you know, a lot of people, the amateur people in the audience, they think it's about being funny. Right. They think it's about, you know, oh, I go to improv because that's like comedy. 
Improv is not about comedy. Improv is about listening, deep listening, and spontaneous connection to what's happening in the moment, moment by moment. So you can never get all up in your head, right? You can't be thinking three steps ahead because now you're disconnecting from the reality of what's happening in front of you. Just like in sales, and Gina, you know this, I'm preaching to the choir here, but our listeners might not know it, that this is really about connection, concern, curiosity. I think the best salespeople are the ones that are strategically dumb, meaning they never assume that when a prospect says something, they know what that means. They always peel the onion. They always, you know, ask the next question, ask a deeper question, ask a better question. And they are strategically dumb and perpetually curious, like genuinely perpetually curious. And when I said a moment ago that your come from is everything, I could give you every sales script and every template and every tool, every trick in the book. Your come from is not right. You will not sell diddly squat. If your come from is right and you totally mess up the script, you totally blow the questions, you totally screw everything up, prospects will still feel connected to you and you will still make the sale. And it's funny, I think less experienced salespeople that don't have the battle scars and don't have the surprises like, oh, I thought I totally lost that deal, but they came through. And then there's the other one. I did everything by the book. That meeting went perfect. I asked all my questions and radio silence. Why? Because the first one was hot, messy, but connected. The second one was surgical strike, letter perfect, but soulless. No soul, no connection, no relationship. So having the scripts, the templates, the frameworks, the lines, that is necessary, but not sufficient. And it is your come from that drives your sales success. It's not the scripting and the questions and the lens. As much as I love this and I packed the Do It Selling book full of templates, tools, frameworks, scripts, but we spend a lot of time on mindset because guess what? This is why there's 9 million sales books because if your come from isn't right, none of them will work for you. If your come from is right, any of them will work for you. This is why I often start any kind of training I'm doing, and I've been doing this with the military as well. I start with the improv piece and the yes and piece because it is all about the mindset of yes, I can. And using that tool in discovery to really listen, to have the conversation, but also to turn around the objection I see so much struggle with the framework, with the tools. All of those things are definitely necessary. Now, I started on the opposite in the spontaneous, improvised way of selling, really messy. And I'm like, this is sufficient, but that's not sufficient as a standalone. And then when I started to understand process and framework and tools, I was like, oh, the merging of the two was magical because I knew how to get off the script when I needed to get off the script. This is where I see the problem happens, is that they learn the script and then they hold on to the script and they don't want to let the script go like it's a security blanket. Yeah, And that's where the trouble happens because they don't know how to flex. Can I share with you how we refer to this internally here with our team? This is such a great point. We call this, we call this opera 
versus Playboy. Playboy magazine. I know we're getting racy now. Yes. So an opera is highly structured, highly choreographed. There's dozens of musicians. There's dozens of singers and actors. Think about the opening scene of an opera. It is lockstep. It is dialed in. It is highly coordinated. And that is your preparation. That is your structural questions that you always go in with and your structural sales process. Now, let's switch over to Playboy, specifically Playboy interviews. Turns out, Mm. my friends, the interviews were actually great. No one knew this, but it's true. It was not about the pictures. It was about the interviews. I actually watched a documentary on this. It's fascinating, right? It it is actually very fascinating once you understand These interviewers, and there was about 16 of them, there's about 16 journalists and interviewers that collectively were responsible for hundreds and hundreds of these Playboy interviews. So they would do maybe 10 a year. They would do a lot. So they come in with about 200 prepared questions. They sit down with the famous movie star, politician, musician, whoever it is, and they start going into their initial question based on the answer that they hear. They could literally stop at question number three and say, wow, tell me more about that. What happened that night with Elvis? Did he really put that peanut butter and banana sandwich where everyone said he did? Did he really go nude swimming with Marilyn Monroe? Holy smokes, I didn't know that. That wasn't in my research. They will listen for the doors opening when there's new information, critical information, or especially interesting information They will pursue that line of questioning until it reaches its natural conclusion or until they get the payoff, the juicy story about Elvis and the peanut butter and the bananas. And then and only then will they go back to their prepared questions. So even though they prepared 200 questions, they might end up asking seven or eight. And what's the substance of all the rest of the interview? What's the substance of all the rest of the conversation? Whatever emerges from that celebrity that's especially interesting, valuable, unique, or newsworthy. Imagine if we ran our sales calls and especially our discovery calls saying, okay, opera is the preparation. We always start with the same question, with the structural questions. And then the playboy is the situational questions. So what's going to come up based on what they asked? What's going to come up based on data they shared? What avenues are now opening up that will help you make the case for how you can help this prospect, how you can help this company, how you can help this situation that you would have never guessed in a million years, but they just revealed it to you and you now follow that trail to its natural conclusion. And you have the discipline then to take this back to the next structural question to move your sales process forward so you never lose control of the call. I think I'm in love with you. I I feel the very same way. I, I, although I'm sure that's politically incorrect in several different countries that are listening in. Oh, yeah. I don't care. But anyway. <laughs> you just, you're speaking like this is my love language. I talk, I am now going to be telling, I'm just going to be describing myself as Playboy because... This is something that I'm constantly coaching on, training on, teaching on. 
it's something that I discovered over the years of like how improv plays a part in this and the yes and of it. I think why discovery, I love discovery is exactly what you just talked about. I ask a question that gets someone to talk and then every following question is based on the last answer. And there's, and I'm constantly teaching, use the tell me more phrase. Instead of even asking a question, go to the tell me more. Oh, tell me more about, because it does so much. It shows that you're listening. It really like releases the dopamine of like, oh my gosh, they want to know more about me. Oh, tell me more. Let me tell you more about me. And then they reveal all of this additional information that you had no idea was going to come out. And you're just following along the trail. And in that process, they don't feel processed. They don't feel like a transaction in the conversation and go back and ask those necessary logistical budget yada questions eventually right come back to that and go hey you know what i do have a couple kind of like mundane questions to ask you and i kind of wrap it up like that so that you know it's like let me get these questions off the list right Uh, because i want them to be so engrossed in storytelling to me yeah that's where the magic happens. I love this opera versus Playboy. There you go. There I, you go. I'm going to say I'm a Playboy pl- girl now. I want to tell my husband that. There you I, go. I, I want to backtrack a little bit. You said something, and we would call this a callback. You said something about being, you know, treating our prospects and clients like friends. And yeah. I'm all about it. I'm all over it. But already I can hear... Some of our listeners say, but David, we're not friends. How am I going to be friends with them? They don't even know me. How do I do that? I'd love your perspective on that one. Of course. So you're right. They don't know you. However, as a professional seller, you need to show up knowing quite a lot about. And I think this, I have a rant that I do about lazy sellers. Nothing makes me more crazy than lazy sellers. Think about all of the information, Gina, that is at every sales professional's fingertips. So much. Online, offline, company website, Google, YouTube, LinkedIn, you name it. Turn the clock back 30 years and I guarantee you Salespeople from 30 years ago would give their right or left limb to have the sales intelligence that we totally take for granted and totally ignore. And that's a gold mine right in front of us. Back in so, our day, we didn't have that. Exactly. We, yeah, we used a phone book. And uh, if you were in the paper, then I would call on you. So this reminds me of a detective drama and a detective drama specifically Think of the scene where there's the two cops sitting in the car outside the bad guy's headquarters and they're doing a stakeout and they've got the fast food and they're smoking the cigarettes and all this kind of stuff. So they're doing the stakeout. They go back to the station house and they somehow missed that the bad guy went to a meeting because they were supposed to be tracking this guy. They have the place bugged. They want to know. Everyone he meets with, they want to know every conversation when his all of his comings and goings 24 seven. So their lieutenant comes out and the lieutenant is livid. 
You were supposed to be on this guy. You were supposed to be every single move, every single minute, every single hour, every single day. You were supposed to know where he goes, what he does, who he meets with. You're supposed to know how he likes his eggs. And that's the punchline. We as professional sellers are supposed to know how our prospects like their eggs. That level of specificity, that level of research that goes into it so that when you show up on their doorstep, virtual or otherwise, you have done your homework and you have earned their respect by having done the homework, by knowing what's important to them, what are they working on, what are their urgencies, what are their priorities. One of my early, early, early sales mentors, a different guy named Stu Bolno, who was here in Philadelphia, he said, when you're selling, it is important to show up with a bucket and not a microphone. And in the bucket, you're collecting all the things about that prospect. So if suddenly they tell you that they're interested in oranges, the letter K and the number 12, do not show up talking about bananas, the letter G and the number four. This is a seller prospect disconnect. So, so many sellers, number one, they don't do that research that makes that initial sales conversation relevant. And they totally show up with the microphone instead of showing up with the bucket. And if you could solve those two problems, not you, Gina, but our <laughs> folks listening, if you could solve those two problems, I cannot tell you how the floodgates would open for you. So you need to do the research so you can be relevant and have more relevant high relationship conversations because that's what's going to earn you the respect and really deeply listen, ask, probe, collect things in that bucket, not that are important to you and your sales process, but that are important to the prospect and their success with whatever it is that we're hoping that they will buy. Yeah. Again, common sense, right? That's not, I think people avoid it because it's work. I think that it goes right back to what you said about lazy sellers. Yeah. Well, look at how you and I started this show, right? And again, this will be on the cutting room floor. No one ever heard any of that commentary. I'm sure that they I, didn't. I have but a I feeling said, hey, they, will, they will hear a lot of it. <laughs> They're going to hear everything. I'm doomed. I'm finished here. But I said, hey, you remember you had Donald Kelly on and I said, you know, hey, where's Susanna? I kind of miss Susanna. She's supposed to be here. And hey, how about that? How about the lemonade kid with the Oreos? I did my research so that literally when we started this interview and you said, hey, he's my new best friend that I've never met before. I knew half a dozen things about you and the show. And so now we are on our way to having a fantastic friendship. And, you know, you're going to sell me something at some point and it's going to be Sales Gravy University. <laughs> but you know what? You that you did exactly what you're talking about. You modeled it, right? You, you modeled what you're talking about becoming a friend quickly. And these things are, are that simple to do. You just have to put that in your process of like, let me do a little research, homework, so I have something to talk about. You're right. Like We have so much at our fingertips. The first thing to do is go to LinkedIn or Google someone and try to find something that I can key on, key into in the conversation so that I'm not starting this conversation 
with, you know, let's drill down into business. Again, going back to military, you know, military recruiters, they have a really hard job because they're trying to get people to enlist at the same time. Talk about pre-qualification hell. They've got to ask all these crazy, important questions to pre-qualify, you know, from physical health to intelligence to background and you make sure that they're not criminals and drugs and all these things. And so they've got this list of questions that feel like a proctology exam and they go right into that. And I'm like, I get that this is important and that you need to do that. But I would like you to butter me up a little bit before the proctology exam. Yes. Butter is one good option. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So You do have, you've got a simple repeatable process for connecting with top prospects. How does that work? I need to know. I need to fill more of my pipeline up. So are are we talking here about the best of the best? I only want the best of the best because they're higher probability. Okay. I like that. So you're right. In the Do It Selling book, we talk about the best of the best are the ones who invest. And yes, it rhymes. And yes, it's true. So most salespeople, when they see a prospect or a company that is really struggling and really could use what they do, like, oh, my God, this will be a slam dunk. They're in such terrible shape that, you know, I'm going to throw them a life preserver. This is going to change their life. The people who need your products and services the most are the ones who are never going to buy. It is the weirdest thing. All the seasoned salespeople listening right now, they're like, yeah, he's right. He's right. It's weird, but he's right. So if the ones that desperately need you are never going to buy because they're sad, broke, wacky, whatever they are, who do we sell to? We sell to the best of the best because the best of the best want what you do. They do not need what you do. So one of the prospecting strategies that I teach a lot and people have had a lot of success with is look for all of those best companies lists, starting with best workplaces to work for, best companies to work for. And by the way, these are available regionally, city, state, national, international. Then, depending on what it is you sell and who you sell it to, there are awards like CFO of the year, if you happen to sell to CFOs, CIO of the year, CMO of the year, CEO of the year local, regional, national, industry-specific, CFO of the year in the technology industry, CFO of the year in the HR industry, CFO of the year in financial services, etc. If you sell to a certain demographic, so there are all kinds of best places to work for working mothers, best places to work for black entrepreneurs, but best, I'm sorry, best places, it's it is Black Black Enterprise Magazine yeah. has best places to work for uh, Black executives and leadership, all of it. You can name the demographic group, best companies to work for millennials, best companies to work for LGBTQ folks, best companies to healthiest companies. Let's say that you have a product or a service that is health or wellness related. Would you not want to find the list of the 100 healthiest companies in America, the 100 healthiest companies in Seattle, the 100 healthiest companies in Orlando? 
there are lists of lists. And I kind of break down in the book exactly what Google searches you can find. And it's, it's a gold mine. And then you can use your local media, the business section of your paper that you can search online. You can look at your local business journal. You can look at YouTube for who's been featured in videos. You can use a search engine called Listen Notes, which is for podcasts like this one. So listennotes.com, you can see if your executives and prospects have been a guest on any podcast. And there are so many intelligence gathering resources that if you're not selling to the best of the best, you are just bumping into brick wall after brick wall and dead end after dead end. I think that is so amazingly brilliant for our listeners because I think so many sellers go after the need versus the want mindset. Yes. And you're so bang on, right? There are I was just talking about this right before this podcast with a client that I'm coaching and he's just endeavored into a new industry and a new business. And he's in essence going back into an entrepreneur world and going out there and selling. And I said, you know, who are you selling to? I, who, what is your avatar? Because I have some concerns about his target. I'm like, let's just make sure that your target can actually afford what you're selling. And I know that they need it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can pay for it. And you're going to just be hitting your head against a wall. And I think we've all been there. Yeah. Uh, anybody with a lip slightly seasoned, I'm like, you got to learn how to kind of figure out if they're going to be able to pay for it. And yeah. that's the hard work going into that. I try to discover it as quickly as possible. I had someone months ago say to me, you know, I'm looking for a magic bullet. And I said, there's no magic bullet. It's called hard work. And she's Amen. like, I was really hoping you weren't going to say that. And I was able to get through that. And it was to sell her coaching. And I'm like, if you're not going to do the work, I can't work with you. Yeah. And then when she's like, nah, and I told her a story that she could see herself in a similar st a story that I had of how I pulled myself out of a dark place. She was in a dark place. She's like, I want that. And then I told her how much she's like, oh, no, I can't do that. And I knew going in that that was going to be the case. Like you yeah. could start to see it. Do you have any advice for people to get them out of that where, you know, they're excited, like they need it? Like what's your advice for them to like run away from that or figure out that they're not going to invest or they can't invest? So I think so. there's a short tactical answer and there's perhaps a longer, more interesting, slightly longer, more, more, more interesting answer. The short answer is disqualify early. So I have a client who sells big consulting packages to fairly big companies, medium-sized companies, and his standard line at some point in the first meeting, after doing some good discovery, he shows up with the bucket, not the microphone, figures out what they want, what they need, timeline, all this stuff. He says, based on what you've just shared with me, this is gonna be at least a six-figure deal. If that doesn't scare you, let's keep talking. Now, two-thirds of the time, the executives that he's meeting with go, yeah, no, we kind of figured that's what we sort of had in mind. Yeah, well, let's keep talking. One-third of the time, they're like, oh, I thought this would be like five or 10 grand. Like, can't you just come in and do like a half-day workshop? Or <laughs> it's like, you know, 
the city is crumbling. There's bombs going off left and right. <laughs> How about a half day workshop? It's like, no, dude, this is not a half day workshop problem. This is a six month leadership development, crazy coaching, training, mentoring, yeah. hands on program. Anyway, so short tactical answer is disqualify early with lines like that. I think the you can convert. You can sometimes convert someone who shows up as needy if you uncover a very clear and very specific future. If you paint a picture of the future with their data and with their hopes and their dreams, we don't do this. We don't paint, you know, la land with our own values and objectives and hopes for this person. We say, listen, what do you really want to create here? What would that mean to you personally, professionally, financially? Who else wins when you win? Oh, well, my daughter gets to go to a great school and I can maybe retire my husband from this job that he doesn't like. And okay, so now we're getting into the personal, the professional. What does it look like six months down the road when you now have this? What does that then make possible? Oh, well, once I have that, then the next step would be this thing. Realistically, where do you see yourself 12 months down the road if everything we talked about works out reasonably well? Not perfect. There's going to be bumps in the road. This is still you talking. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be some obstacles. There's going to be some detours. But if let's say 75% of what you just shared with me comes to pass 12 months from now, how will your life be better? How will your marriage be better? What, what, what will you be able to come home and say to your daughter? So connecting this to their personal drive. It's, and by the way, personal drive is not the same. You could talk to 10 different prospects right. who all have 10 different personal reasons for investing right. in your products and services, but find out, find out what is important, what is really vital to that person. Like what's their love language to solve this problem? And if they can paint a picture that is vivid enough using their words, their vocabulary, they're telling you, you're not telling them. And then you say, by the way, it's going to be a zillion dollars in the context of the value and then the contrast of the scale. So let's say that this is an easy, this is an easy conversation. If it's career consulting, someone's out of work, they're used to making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Every month that you're not working, you're losing about eight thousand dollars. And what I would say to this person, and because I, I would ask, right, what's your base salary? Great, 100K. How long have you been out of work? Five months. Okay. Have you done the math, Barbara, that over the last five months, you have already lost $40,000 because it's $8,000 a month times five months, $40,000. So if I'm selling you some career coaching and career consulting, and my big package is 9,500 bucks. And I just said, it's costing you eight grand every month that you're unemployed. Not only that, but you told me that you want to kind of jump the track and you don't want another $100,000 job. You want a $150,000 job. So now we're adding 50K. I told you, you just lost 40K. So now we're down 90K. There's a 90K gap. 40K you've already lost. 50K you want to make up in advance, right? What would that $150,000 salary feel like? Oh my gosh, that would be fantastic. What would you buy first? 
well, I got a new car. I need to have a new car because my current car is kind of on its last legs. Now, $9,500 is a lot of money to a lot of people, probably even you and me. It's a lot of money to a lot of people. If you said, if you let's say we had none of this conversation, Gina, how much is your career coaching package? It's $9,500, David. Oh gosh, that's way too, I wasn't expecting, I thought it'd be like 500 bucks, right? Any price without a context is too high. But when you paint the vision of their future that they want to paint for themselves, and then you put dollars into it, and my favorite dollarization question is simply, can you put a number on it, right? Can you put a number on it? Can you put a number on it? Can you put a number on it? When that fee has a context of value and a contrast of scale, like you give me one X and I'll give you seven X. Suddenly 9,500 bucks is not a lot of money. It's like, oh my gosh, when can you start? Yeah, awesome. That is an awesome explanation, description, advice on that. And for those who are selling, and maybe you're not putting a personal dollar on it, but you can put some kind of personal dollar on it because there are other personal outcomes. So if you're selling to someone who this is going to impact their job or impact a promotion or impact the productivity of their team that's going to trickle down to the bottom line, that has an effect on them, right? So anybody listening, there there is all that you can take. And raises and bonuses, not just promotion, but also, is there like a bonus? And sometimes it's a negative. So sometimes you'll hear, oh, well, no, the CEO said six months ago that if we don't solve this year, we're going to have to sell off the whole division. Oh, wouldn't you want to know that as a salesperson? Yes, you would. Yeah, so all that kind of personal information would you be willing to come back for another episode? Because there's so much more I want to dive into with you. I would love to come back, my friend. I would love to. I would love that because there was like so much more. I wanted, you know, my 200 questions I came with. That's that it. I didn't get to because you and I are good with just exploring. And we got to wrap up this episode. But if you're willing to come back, I will send you my updated schedule. Because again, there's more I want to dive into. Most important for now, where can our listeners get connected with you, stay connected, get this amazing book that you sent me? Thank you. Do it selling. That's got all this juicy stuff in it. How can people reach out to you? So a couple of things. Number one, all the free companion tools, downloads and training videos that go with the book are at doitselling.com. And then we also have a free manifesto the 37-page PDF that's part marketing, part sales, part revenue growth. That's available for free at doitmarketing.com slash manifesto. And there's all kinds of other things. We have a selling show podcast that's at thesellingshow.com. And basically just go to those couple links and you'll find the whole empire. Fantastic. And we'll include those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, David Newman, for joining me and for joining me in the future for more episodes on this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. I am looking forward to part two, The Revenge. (laughs) Nice. Hey, listeners, thank you to listening to this episode and hopefully you're watching it on YouTube as well of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by 
Sales Gravy. And you've heard some great plugs from David about Sales Gravy University. Go check that out, salesgravy.university. We've got nearly 300 courses on demand and live. And some of those taught by yours truly. Go check that out. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. 